Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in 1 Thessalonians. In this book, Paul celebrates a church that is flourishing despite persecution, and he encourages them with the hope we have in the return of Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our Journey in the Word. Paul has been talking about the day of the Lord, but he's about to make a turn now. And as he begins to make this turn, he's going to be, he's going to be uh, really bringing this letter to a conclusion. And as he does that, he's going to be talking about some practical things that he's urging the believers to do in their lives, and he's exhorting them. So this is kind of urgings and exhortations that he's going to give to them. But we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12. Let's read this all the way down to the end of the chapter, then we'll pray and begin. He says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I challenge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for this time we have together. I ask now that you would just, Lord, let my words be clear. Let my words be your words this morning, spoken to all of us, that we be encouraged, that we would grow, that we be exhorted that we would understand the urgings that you've placed for us in these passages here, in these scriptures, and that we would see our connection and how we walk these things out by your strength and power. Lord, teach us about this this morning, Lord. And we give this to you, and we give you our hearts so that you can teach us. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us in this study. For it's in your name we pray these things, Jesus. And all God's people prayed, amen. Paul says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul now begins a series of of final admonitions as, as he closes this letter. He first begins by telling them to recognize those who God has placed in leadership over them, pastors, elders, teachers within the body of Christ. Now, please understand, this is not a command that Paul is giving here, but it's, it's simply an urgent plea. It's an urgent plea that he's saying to them that, that, that to take on this right attitude in this regard. And there is a difference, you know, and I don't know if you understand that, but just because there are things in the scriptures that urge us to do things, it isn't necessarily a command. A command's very clear when it's given in scripture, but sometimes there are things that we're urged to do, that we're admonished to do, that may, they may not be commands, and yet they're to our benefit to do them. 
And when we fail to do them, there are things that we, we fail to enjoy in our lives as Christians. There are things that, that we end up walking in wrong ways because of it. And, and God desires, even when he urges and exhorts us like this, that we would see these things of value. And here he says that this is something of value. Now, we don't know. There are some who believe that because Paul is drawing attention to this right up front, that there was some kind of a problem in the church in Thessalonica, that that maybe there was an issue between some of the congregants and their pastors and those that were leading the church. We don't know that. There may have very well been. But but based on the attitudes that often exist in in the modern church today, we can assume that it wasn't any different in that day. There is nothing new under the sun, right? And oftentimes there are problems in churches with these kinds of things, or or maybe Paul is simply inoculating them against something he knows can become a problem. You know, I do that sometimes with you guys. I share things with you from the Word simply to inoculate you, not because there's a problem here, but because I understand that truth being spoken to you, getting that into your hearts, getting you to understand that can protect you from wrong things when they do come along. You know, it does seem to be a part of our, our sinful human DNA to, to resist and reject authority in any form, especially in the DNA of, of Americans, isn't it? We, we kind of reject authority. We kind of reject these things. And, and that can be especially true when it comes to spiritual matters. After all, isn't our spirituality between us and the Lord and not between us and some person? You know, people often look at pastors and they look at spiritual leaders and they think in their hearts, who are you to tell me what to do? You know, who are you to tell me these things? You know, who are you to tell me? Who put you in charge spiritually? I have a relationship with God, and and I don't need any man in between me and him. Don't need that. He speaks to me. I can hear him directly and and without the interference of any man. So who are you to assume a, a position of speaking to me on his behalf? A lot of people today even reject the authority of spiritual leaders to the point that they see no need for them to be a part of the organized body of Christ or for themselves to be a part of the organized body of Christ, uh, seeing themselves as a church unto themselves. They see no need for being part of some regular meeting group of believers, and they especially reject the notion of submitting themselves to the authority and sitting under the teaching of any pastor as they see that as simply muddying the water between them and the Lord. But these kinds of attitudes are a problem. And the reason they're a problem is because the Bible clearly tells us that even though we do share a direct relationship with Jesus, we do share a direct relationship with him in which he speaks directly to us, and he is ultimately our authority. And I'm not trying to take away from that in any regard, but, but he is the one we're to be in submission to. But even with that said, He still expects his people to be part of a local body, to be part of a local body, part of a local church of believers, and not to be spiritual long rangers. I mean, think about some of the scriptures that speak to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 says this. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now listen, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's a lot of, a lot of packed into that one verse. And I've heard people say, well, you know, it's the only verse that really speaks to the, you know, we should be gathering together like this. But you know, how many verses does it take 
When a verse speaks this clearly, I mean, this is as clear as it gets. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of some. In other words, what what the writer to Hebrews was saying is that there were some who saw no value, just like there are today, saw no value in gathering as God's people, saw no value in the local body of Christ, saw nothing to it, no reason to be a part of it. And and, and the writer to Hebrews is saying, hey, don't, don't go there. That's not to be your way of life. We are to be gathered as a part of the body. We're to be together. And the interesting part is the latter part of that verse, because he says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day. What's the day that the writer to Hebrews is speaking of? It's the same day that Paul's writing about here in Thessalonians to this church. You see the day of the Lord approaching. You see the signs of the times. And you realize the time in which you live, it's getting closer and closer to the day, one, when God is going to come and get his people, but two, on the day when he's coming to bring judgment to this earth. And he's saying, as you see the last days essentially coming to pass, this is the time to press in, not pull away. And yet, oftentimes, the opposite is happening. You know, I saw a study the other day that said that, you know, and certainly this is not a message just about church attendance. Please understand your relationship with Christ is not all about church attendance. So if you hear me saying that and you think that's what I'm saying to you, you, you would misread me. But I am saying this is important. But it's interesting, as I'm, I read a study the other day, it said actually, the, even though there are some robust churches and things happening in some corners, overall church attendance is going down amongst Christians. It's going down. Now, there can be a lot of reasons for that. We have easy access to teachings online. We have easy access to TV preachers. We have easy access to all sorts. We can watch live stream, you know, lots of reasons. And yet, at the same time, I would argue that that still misses the whole point of why we get together. It isn't just coming here for the teaching, and that's a big part of it, right? There's an inoculation that takes place, but there's safety in this. There's safety in the kind of fellowship that we have one with another, I just, and I grieve when I realize that people see themselves as a church unto themselves when when God so clearly has made it clear that this is the place of safety. I don't mean CCCV. We're just one place of safety. But the church, the true church, you know, is the place of safety. And God has a place for each person who's his to be in the body. I mean, think about what he tells us in Romans. Paul tells us in Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Now here's the point of that. How do we do those things not together? The whole point is that we're many members, but we're all one. And we're to be gathering so that these things would happen in our midst. Teaching will occur from the pulpit. It happens with your kids in there. But I would argue teaching even happens as you guys share with one another sometimes. And you're ministering to someone. And you ministry one to another as he commands, you know? All of these things are designed to to give this sense in the New Testament that this is about body life, that Christ, the picture that we have in the new covenant is that we're celebrating with Jesus, yes, but we're celebrating it together as his people, and he has a body for us to be a part of. 1 Corinthians, Paul goes on and he says basically the same thing, but even greater detail. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. 
For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now, yeah, we do smell, don't we? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker and are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Where is there in that passage any hint of Lone Rangerism that we see today in Christianity? Where is it? It's absent. Because it was unthinkable to the Holy Spirit as he was penning these words through the Apostle Paul. The idea being, and he says it right there, that he's placed you in the body. He's placed you in the body, each and every one of you. Each and every Christian, whether they sit here or not, or in a church someplace or not. Every individual was intended to be placed by Christ into a body. And that's why I say to people when they visit with us, you know. And my, my admonition to them isn't to say you have to come here. But my admonition always to them is... Go where God is leading you, but find where God is leading you and go, you know, and go because we're to be a part of the body. Amen. And as we're a part of the body, the ministry takes place and, and then we get to minister to the weaker vessels and, and we get to help and we hurt when those are hurting and we get to help when people need help so that we can minister to one another. And in the process, we get to glorify Christ. Isn't that cool? But, but clearly, the idea is that the Bible is saying to us that, that God expects his people to be a part of, of the bo- local body of believers, not to be these spiritual lone rangers. Secondly, the Bible tells us that God has appointed spiritual leaders to oversee his church. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, a passage we all know well, but Ephesians 4.11 begins, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue, stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a mouthful in that, isn't there? But did you hear how he started? And so to the person who says, well, who pointed you? Who made pastors? You know, who are you to get into my relationship with the Lord? Well, my answer would be, I'm nobody to get into your relationship between you and the Lord. In fact, I don't want to be in between you and the Lord. But the Lord has still appointed me and he's appointed others in leadership, whether in this body or other local bodies, for the overseeing of the body to, to teach, to, to equip you for the work of ministry. And oh, by the way, that, that verse is very clear. That's what we do here, right? We're equipping you for the work of ministry, right? We're equipping you for the work of ministry. 
And the work of ministry happens in your workplace. It happens when you go to school, if you're a young person. It happens as you go to the shopping market. It happens everywhere you go. But our role as pastors is to equip you for that, but also to protect you, to protect you. And, and now here's where that Lone Rangerism kind of creeps back in that creates a problem. Look, you know, the Lone Rangers of, of Christianity are those, and maybe they're being fed by 15 different teachers who are all teaching different things. And in the process, all it creates is confusion in their hearts. The idea is that God would plant you in a place that he has for you, and you'd receive the consistent teaching of his word. Now, now granted, in the true church of Christ, it's going to be, we may have some doctrinal differences on some points, but the truth is, we're all going to be communicating the same basic premises of truth to you. But sometimes, if you're not in the body, if you're not planted in a local body, and you're just listening to folks out there on the, I don't know what to call it, the, the, the airwaves, you don't know whether that's true church kind of stuff. You just don't know anymore. And I'll tell you, you've got to be guarded because the truth is a lot of the stuff out there is nothing but spiritual junk. And, and the Internet has added to that. You know, you don't know what's false and what's true. False news, right? Fake news. You don't know what it is when it comes to spiritual things. But you know what? When you're sitting in a body and you're listening to a pastor or a teacher teach week after week after week and year after year after year after year, you get to see, you get to know the heart, you get to know the consistency of the message. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the idea being that you're sitting there and you're hearing this consistency that keeps you from being tossed to and fro all over the map. So many Christians today are being blown all over the spiritual map. And they have no idea of what truth is, you know? So how, if as a people we don't know what truth is, how do we help an unsaved world that doesn't know what truth is? You know, by giving them spiritual garbage or by being able to share with them something that we've been equipped to share with them because we've sat in teaching and we've sat in a place where, where God has appointed leaders. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And I'm not going to get into all theology that. I just want to point out again, he's listed teachers in that mix. He's listed teachers in that mix. Uh, Titus 1, 5. Titus 1, 5. Here, here's the guidance that's being given. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Clearly, the, the, the New Testament has this idea that there would be leadership over the church. You know, in fact, if you really look back even into the Old Testament, you'll find that there are prophecies in the similar vein where God was providing leadership and intended good leadership for his people Israel, even under the old covenant. Because what does he say in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15? And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Prophetically, he's saying, you know what? There's a day coming. You've had some bad teachers. Israel had some terrible leaders, you know? And it was evident by Jesus' day because he was dealing with the, the, the progeny of those, right? Because he was dealing with the Pharisees who were so far from truth, it wasn't even funny, and putting burdens on people, not giving them good food and good spiritual food. But, but here there's a promise being given prophetically to the Old Testament saints saying, one day, one day, I'm going to give you shepherds who are going to care about you, shepherds according to my heart. You know, I pray that in this time that we live right now, even in, before that, his kingdom comes in, in that way, that even now I believe that God is providing shepherds who are after his own heart. I pray that's my heart. You know, I, I've looked for nothing in ministry. I, I didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to plant a church and make my name great and see what I can draw a crowd and do all that. I didn't do that. 
You know, I, I woke up and I couldn't escape the call that God had put on my heart to do this. And I was terrified of it. And there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not scared. I mean, I got to tell you, honestly, before the park thing last week, on Tuesday night, I was sweating bullets. I was sweating bullets. It was like every thought you could think was going through my mind. It's like, why am I doing this? You know, who am I to do this? Who am I to do this? And yet I had that peace in my heart that God had just told me to go do it. And I got up and I did it and I walked away. I walked away because I'm not there to draw something for me. You see, because my heart is after the Lord's heart and I want what the Lord wants. I want what the Lord wants. And you know what he wants? He wants healthy sheep. He wants you guys invested in. He wants you guys loved and cared for. He wants you guys protected. And that's what my heart is. And I pray and I I covet your prayers that that would always be the care of my heart, that that would always be the focus of my heart. You know, you never say never that your heart doesn't change. You know, it can, but I don't think it will. I don't know how it could, to be honest with you. I don't know how it could because I just am in love with Jesus. You know, that's why when I look at people and, you know, when they, and I've said that to you guys before, but when people say, what do I call you? Do I call you pastor? Do I call you Randy? I say, whatever you want to call me. It doesn't matter to me. You know, if you want to call me pastor, that's fine, but you don't need to because pastor is what I do. It's not who I am. Who I am is your brother in Christ. Who I am is a fellow servant in Christ. Who I am is the same one. And when all this is said and done, this will be a faint memory at best. This will all be a faint memory. You know what's going to matter? is going to be my relationship with Jesus. That's what's going to matter most. And I think that's where a lot of people in ministry miss it today. They get so caught up in ministry that they lose sight of the fact that what really matters is their heart in the Lord. That's why in the mornings when I wake up, I go do quiet time. I don't study. I don't go over a passage I'm going to teach you guys. I go and have quiet time for myself. That's why when I'm driving around in the middle of, of the day that I'm just kind of crying out to the Lord. I find myself in those prayers. We'll talk about that when we get to some of the praying. He says pray always in here. But, you know, I, I just find myself crying out in prayers. Yeah, do I pray for you guys? Absolutely. Do I pray a lot for me? Yeah, I do. You know? crying out because I know that in the end, what the Lord wants is someone after his own heart. And the way I become a man and the way you become a man or a woman after God's heart is making everything about your relationship with Jesus and and, and letting him capture your heart. He's captured mine. And I pray he's captured yours as well. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.